Podcast One Production. Welcome to Brand New World, a podcast series designed for marketers. Hi, I'm Russell Howcroft, Chief Creative Officer at PwC Australia, and I, along with Southern Cross Stereo, have a passion for building brands and businesses. The COVID-19 global pandemic has created insane disruption across the world, none more so than in the marketing industry. We're being forced to find new ways to build brands and communicate to our customers as their behaviour changes to adapt to what we're calling the new normal. This podcast series will help you find opportunity amongst the chaos. Throughout the series, we'll talk to experts in the industry about how they're adapting to a brand new world. As the host, my role will be to tease out the insights, creativity and lessons that will help us all get through this together and most importantly, keep your brand and business in good stead for the future. The good news is we're not all screwed. There is opportunity. On today's episode, we're talking to Kimberly Wells about how TBWA has helped their clients innovate in the face of this crisis. My guest today is the CEO of TBWA, Kimberly Wells. Kimberly joined TBWA in 2011 to establish a CRM offering with a focus on engagement planning. Her role quickly expanded into overseeing the agency's total digital offering as well as championing the group's future vision. She leads a team that has won Network Agency of the Year, Digital Agency of the Year, and a significant number of creative awards, including, of course, getting over there to the South of France. Kimberly is a great agency leader of that, there is no doubt. Welcome, Kimberly. Thanks, Russ. Very nice to have you here. Now, TBWA started life as a disruptor. Correct. And I even think that their sort of the their very first bit of collateral was all about being in an age of disruption. Correct. And they've built their business off the back of it. So is it true? It is true. Um, Jean-Marie Drew is the founder of our disruption methodology. Um, I think he's up to book number eight. And really what he developed at that point in time was a perspective on how brands could be disruptive. And, you know, back then um, it wasn't a grab hold of the latest marketing buzzword. Um, It was more about a system and a different way of thinking that could help brands find the new new. Mm-hmm. So it really, um, the process itself, we go in and we, we look for conventions. So we find what are all of the established rules that, um, that you know, society and brands live by. And conventions can be a really good thing. It's good to look left and right when you cross the road. Mm-hmm. But brands often fall into very conventional traps. So if we cast our minds back to the beauty industry, Um, It was always a gorgeous model with bright red lipstick if you were advertising lipstick. Enter Dove and the Real Beauty campaign, and that's where we see someone being truly disruptive to flip that convention on its head. You don't need a beautiful model with red lipstick to be able to sell lipstick. So once we've um, mined all of the conventions, we then look for what's the vision for a brand, and we find that the disruptive space sits in between. So the order is really intentional. Convention, vision, where do we actually want to try and take the brand and then where does the disruption opportunity sit within it? Fantastic. And it's worked for TBWA for, I'm going to say, 20 years? Yeah, something like that. I mean, I think um, a little known fact is that we actually own trademark of the term Mm. disruption. Oh, I remember all of this. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, it's not something we we don't often pursue. 
uh, legal cases around it because, of course, there's also common vernacular in the term. But it is important, given that that piece of terminology has gathered such traction in the age of disruption, which is more akin to innovation and sort of what came with the wave of technology and, you know, new service orientations like Uber, for example. You know, they are one of the disruptors of of our time. So our approach to disruption sits beneath that. So we are in a seriously disruptive period right now, obviously, Kimberly, but we've been here before. 2008 is not that long ago. Tell me about your 2008 marketing services experience. Gosh, if I cast my mind back, I think in 2008, I was heading up Clemenger Proximity at the time. So very much um, direct marketing, CRM, one-to-one. As a result of just my own career path um, and the focus on using data to really drive effectiveness for brands, at that time, that skill set was very valuable because brands were looking for much more efficient ways Um, and be able to really demonstrate the return on their marketing dollar. (laughs) And um, we would have been doing a lot of work around the need to make sure that the marketing dollar was returning hard. And can you remember the vibe at the time? I'm just thinking about the vibe at the time around the brands and media and marketing and marketing suppliers. And if you can remember that vibe versus the vibe of now, have you got any sort of perspective on that? There was a level of uncertainty, just as any fear that economic impact is likely to have. But I think what's different this time around is, first of all, this really genuinely feels like something that has happened on a global scale, because it has. And the world shut down. Our world has shut down. And back then in 2008, yes, there was a recession, but it was more of a scaling down. I think we had time to adjust. This time, we didn't have any time to adjust. We had moments of we need to move and we need to move really fast. We had governments imposing sanctions. We had restrictions on our own movement. And so I think with with the recession, it was frugalism certainly came to the fore. I think we were more conscious of the decisions we were making. And I think in some respects this time around, people haven't been as in control as what we were in 2008. I think we've been looking perhaps more to authority than what we were in 2008 for some guidance. And I think because we're all in it together, which has become so trite as a saying, but I think because of that, we've seen greater generosity than what we did in 2008. The recession was probably a bit more, how am I going to get through? I think now it's how are we going to get through? It's interesting you talk about authority and maybe looking towards authority at this time makes me think of Edelman and every every year Edelman comes out and they talk about the decline in trust, decline in trust of brands and decline in trust of media and government and institutions. So what do you think is going to happen next time around, next Edelman trust survey? Well, I think that depends on what country you're in. Um, I think, you know, I, I, we need to celebrate our government's response to this, irrespective of left or right, I think that um, our government has responded in an incredibly efficient and considerate way. I think trust most certainly has been tested, but I think that nationalistic pride is going to really surface through that next research study. And I think we're already seeing actually that Australians 
are much more concerned about what the global impacts of this are going to be rather than the national impacts. I think we feel that we are the lucky country. And so, you know, I think for Australian brands and for Australian consumers, we've, we've, got, we've gotten through pretty well. And where do you think we are? What sort of, how do you feel about the, uh, I don't think we're at recovery yet. No. So what's your sense of where the economy is going and where, where you think it's going to go? I think we're seeing optimism in the economy. I think that certain industries are going to take a, a much longer time to recover than others. You know, I was talking to um, someone this morning who who is taking their guidance from the World Health Organization, a, a contact of ours at the um, Sustainable Development Goals Strategy Hub for the UN. And um, the latest information from the WHO is is we are eighteen to twenty four months away when we look at this at a global level, and so. What's really important for us all to remember at the moment is the response needs to be slow and it will be slow. So even although some economies may come back faster, some industries may come back faster, there will be pockets of the world that are hurting for much longer. And I think we remain optimistic at the moment in terms of where it's headed, but who knows? So communication clearly plays a massive role in getting the public to understand what's occurring managing a crisis, managing brands. It's a very important thing that you and the communication industry does. So what's some of the stuff you've learnt recently around comms in this time? If we cast our minds back to the 1st of January, Melbourne almost had a dress rehearsal or Australia had a dress rehearsal for this crisis as a result of the bushfires. And, you know, we were, we were very quick to react first and foremost to what was going on in East Gippsland. And then within a week, we are fortunate to partner with the South Australian Tourism Commission. So we also, you know, needed to jump on and, and really take the responsibility of trying to continue to drive tourism into some of those fire affected areas. And what we really learnt through that is that people have to be at the front and centre of any response. And the way that we communicate is an outcome of the way that we act within it. So whilst moving at speed, which is what a crisis requires, it's actually all of the pre-preparation that goes into it. So I think um, for brands and for communicators that have found themselves in these situations and are trying to establish trust on the fly or trying to establish credibility on the fly, that's almost impossible because you don't have time to do it. And, you know, Peter Field always talks about the long-term brand building and it's in a crisis that that gets tested Mm. because if you haven't set your brand up for those conditions to endure the long-term impacts, then when it gets into the short-term, you you really have nowhere to go. I think the other thing that we learnt through this is there certainly was a lot of uncertainty from our clients in, in the immediate emergency phase And that is true for the bushfires as it is for COVID-19. Initially, we were having lots of conversations um, questioning brand tone. So is it it right for my brand to be speaking at the moment? And what's the answer? It depends on your brand tone, depends on the brand character that you've got. What's your purpose? Are you actually living your purpose or are you speaking because there's an opportunity for you to speak? Mm -hmm. Like utility, I think, becomes really important at this particular point in time. Can you be useful? Yep. And if you can be useful, then there is absolutely a reason for you to speak. 
And we've seen that through banks, for example. So we're fortunate to work with ANZ um, in the immediate aftermath of both the fires as well as COVID. They were questioning what their comms schedule looked like over the next three months, six months, 12 months. Is it right to be advertising home loans when people's homes are burning? Is it right to be talking about um, credit cards at a time when people perhaps are about to get themselves into deeper financial issues? How do you sense check credit ratings when people are losing their jobs? So being able to be really useful and being able to very clearly communicate messages that are actually going to help people in the moment that they're in is paramount. But your brand has to be front and centre of that. Mm. So this idea of institutional trust, I think, is really, I see it as an opportunity for brands um, over the coming months. Do you think the brands are seeing that as well? Do you think that they say, actually, you know what, we can, especially as I love your point around utility, especially if we actually have got something useful, you know, our offer is useful. Do you think they're wrapping it up in an opportunity to build trust? I think some are trying. I think some are trying, but I think the ones who will win are the ones that have trust as a core tenant Mm -hmm. of their brand and have had it previously. Mm -hmm. Because as I said, you can't build trust in an emergency. You have to have it established long before. I think what we are seeing is a return to really established brands. Because if we think about those brands, think about heritage brands, they have the trust. They've been around for years. And so that's where we turn to. That's who we're looking for. The fly-by-the-night startups are good if they're offering utility, but also depending on the type of service or product that they're selling, like how high involvement is that versus, you know, our financial institutions, our energy providers, sort of goes back to really fundamental need sets. So all the self-actualization brands, all the opportunities to grab your high-end vehicles or luxury goods or anything like that, sure, there's going to be people that will come out of this that still that still want to be able to acquire those sorts of things. But the day-to-day, what do I need to survive? That's where the trust absolutely has to be. Another category that absolutely needs to be applauded for their response in all of this is undoubtedly our supermarkets. Coles and Woolworths, I think, just jumped into action. They have absolutely pivoted their business. They put health and safety of their shoppers at the forefront, health and safety of their staff at the forefront, changing their trading hours to make sure that the most vulnerable areas of our society could still access the goods that they needed. I just think they've done a phenomenal a phenomenal job in responding. I couldn't agree with you more. And it is fascinating, isn't it, when we go through this time, just how important just the basic stuff, it, we're reminded, we're we reminded are. just how important it is. I love your utility. Yeah, all this incredible utility that is available to us so readily and yet now we realise just how important that is just for us to get on with our day. And I think also it's utility and control. Like we have to give people a sense of control in a crisis. People need a job to do. So if you have faced unemployment, there's still a whole lot of things that can be that, that you can be doing to help your community. I was listening to someone recently. We were talking about the fact that there's all this talk in various social channels around the home haircut. Hmm. Yep. You know, and I think the signal that sits underneath that, it's not so much about the hair. It's just about the desire for 
basic control over something that is such an, you know, an, an, an everyday thing that we can take for granted mm. if the control's taken away. So it's funny, I have this sort of, I've got this desire to go and spend money. Yes. You know, it's like I, I want to go and visit my, you know, okay, so the barber. I want to go to the barber and I want to give the barber some money, right? So I need to go to more than one coffee shop just to make sure that, you know, you're trying to just get the, because I don't know about you, Kimberly, but I'm not spending any money. <laughs> right, this is a problem. Yeah. It's a real problem. We need to find a way. I mean, what I'm anxious about, my anxiety is around demand. So, yes, the air is going to be slowly let out of the balloon and we're going to be let out onto the streets. We're going to be able to go back to work. We're going to be able to slowly but surely get things moving again. But they're only going to move if there's demand. So where's the demand going to come from? Well, the demand has to come from us. It has to come from, from, come from consumerism. You know, and I think there's certainly, there's examples in China, I think it was, um, as the restrictions eased, the number of people that, that went straight to Gucci. Yeah. So we're also seeing rebellion buying. And I think to the point that you're talking about, perhaps at the other end of the spectrum, is people have had a lot of time to think about the things that they want to buy. And part of that is just latent access. We haven't been able to procure perhaps what we ordinarily would. So they're going out and just spending. And it's almost a rebellious action because they've been locked up and they've got some spare cash hanging around and so they want to go out. What I think is interesting in that, though, is the way that they're buying. Increased levels of browsing online and then very action-orientated when they get into store. So I've, I've spent... I've spent, yeah, I've spent months working out what I want and then just let me at it. Well, I hope that is what happens. Um, I do think there's a significant role for brands to generate that demand. It's one of the interesting things, isn't it? We've got increased media consumption and, of course, a decrease in the price to get into media as an advertiser. So are you seeing any clients taking advantage of this amazing opportunity? Most of our brands have remained very, very active during this period, but again, they're remaining active, but there's also caution because they are also, many of them are experiencing some revenue declines as a result of, you know, the industry and just the situation that we're in. So what I think is going to be incredibly interesting is as people are let back outside is to see the brands that are going to hold to their brand core and those that are going to try and discount their way through this. What's likely? I think we'll see a lot of discounting. I was speaking to Mark Ritson earlier, and he seems to think that this is a particular Australian affliction. The marketer is less likely to hold the line on long-term brand building and more likely to discount. Sounds like you agree. I do. What can we do about that? That's a great question. I think, you know, Peter Field's study on, on long-term brand building is not brand new. It's something that's been around for years. The evidence is very, very clear, um, but we're up against the need for really short-term sales results. We have a short-term reporting cycle. So we've got CFOs and CEOs who are looking at quarter-by-quarter quarter sales and we know that we're going to have two or three quarters of possibly declines across the board. And so trying to get someone to believe in activity now for six months, 12 months, 18 months return is going to be really difficult. I think we just have to keep pushing the facts. Mm -hmm. And is that your plan? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> good. Have you got another one? Uh, uh, well, the good news is 
there is a ton of evidence. The evidence is, you know, profound amount of evidence that says if you buy extra share of voice during a period like this, you will slingshot out of it in a in a better position. However, the pressure, of course, on saving money is profound. One of the big issues is that media expenditure is a variable expense. And as a result of it being variable, it's very easy, very quick to cut. Somehow we need to find a way for the accountants to stick it into the cost of goods sold. Then it might be more possible to keep the thing going. I'm actually very interested in the network, TBWA. Those of us that are on the um, selling services side all know this to be true. We rarely win the argument. Just help us here, Kimberly. How do we win the argument? For? Maintenance of expenditure during a downturn. You know, Russ, this is where the channel mix, I think, is, is really coming under the spotlight. And the fear I have for that is the most immediate evidence that you get in that argument is reverting to digital media publish it, do they click, do they not click? Is there a, an, you know, an obvious conversion point um, and what are the results? And yeah. so I think we are certainly seeing an increase in digital media spend. Um, and the biggest concern I have with that is it's not a great medium for brand building. We've got two levers, but they work at cross purposes. One's very, very good at doing what the CFOs are after and the other one is really good at maintaining the longevity of, of the brand. There, there is a nuance here though as well, isn't there? Because if I go click through my digital media, the experience itself of, of the online experience itself can build brand. So I think there, there's, it's, it's difficult. This is not a binary thing really. Well, I think this is where we start to get into the flick from thinking about brands as the holistic experience of that brand as opposed to perhaps the wrapper that yep. sits around it. Particularly when you're going through a digital experience, it's how seamless is this brand helping me to yep. navigate? What value are they offering me at each step as opposed to what is it that they're telling me about themselves? Yep. So tell me about your media consumption over the last six weeks. What's happened? Uh, the radio has been on a couple of times, but I have to admit I was listening to um, to the radio the other day and I was really, I was quite frustrated when I when I finished my trip, because all I heard about were sombre mm. COVID-19 mm. related comms. Yeah. And I think brands need to be very careful of that as well. Yeah. I think there's de- there was definitely a moment in time during the emergency, be very, very mindful, tonality is critical, make sure that you're being useful. But we're starting to feel like we've done a good thing in this country yeah. and and so do we want to continue to be dragged into the dire situation or do we want to be given a little bit of relief? And I think this is where tone becomes critically important because initially it was not appropriate to try and make anyone laugh, but we're human. And so our desire for entertainment hasn't gone away. Our desire for light relief hasn't gone away. And I think brands that are able to pivot their tone or just balance it to know when they've got to be able to give a very clear instructional message versus be able to inspire and entertain their audience is really important. Well, I like where you're going there, Kimberly. I couldn't, I could not agree more. It's interesting, isn't it? Because of the wonders of the digital world, we're able to see a TikTok bunch of 22-year-olds having some fun. And brands don't seem to be taking the lead from the entertainment that people are producing themselves. And there's got to be an opportunity there, I would think. That's brands that are concerned about wanting to 
make sure that the message they're projecting can land without offending either side. But in doing that, what happens is that the message becomes so diluted that it doesn't actually engage at all. Yeah. It just becomes wallpaper. And I think, I think that's what I was really reacting to mm. from, yeah. you know, the series of ads that I listened to all in one. You know, it's it's very interesting, minutes. isn't it? When was the, the last brand that made you laugh? It's, it's like... <laughs> I tell you a brand that, that has really made me smile and I thought got their tone absolutely bang on was Lexus. Yes. So very, uh, you know, we were absolutely still in the emergency phase and uh, Lexus came out saying, we know you're at home. For those that are going to need your car serviced over this period of time, mm. we will bring a car to your house and we will take your car away for servicing. That's utility. Yeah. That's really capitalising on an opportunity. Yep. And the other thing that was interesting about that is they took it to TV. Yes, they did. Yep. You know, they're not like they don't have the same kind of penetration or customer base as some mm. of the other brands in um, in this market, but they still use that as an opportunity. Yeah. Well, when the audiences are going the way they are, my God, it's a good idea. Yeah. So you've done some work with the UN, is that right? Correct. So what's going on there? So our involvement with the UN, we sit on the Sustainable Development Goals Strategy Hub. We're one of 30 companies um, worldwide that do that. And we have worked with them for about 18 months now. Um, and that relationship has proved to be incredibly fortuitous at this time. Uh, we're on weekly calls with all of the UN agencies. So hearing directly from those agencies around the state of affairs globally um, has been very valuable in in being able to inform our own clients around some of the critical language in particular. Mm-hmm. But we were um, also fortunate to, to co-author the open brief, the call out that went very to... Good all creative agencies. And the intent of that was really to try and mobilise the creativity around the six key messages of the World Health Organisation. So TBWA uh, developed a global design system to really simplify what those messages needed to communicate. And importantly, we needed something that could transcend cultures and could transcend literacy levels because communicating with an audience in Australia compared to an audience in sub-Saharan Africa to an audience in Italy, for example, is, is quite different. So we devised the global system um, and also responded with an official COVID-19 logo. Ordinarily, those things take about 18 months to get approved and they were approved within four days. The open brief has had over 17,000 submissions from creators globally and we're in the process of um, sharing all of that work out now. So it's been a huge effort, a huge collaboration on behalf of our industry and I think a really great demonstration of just how creativity can be used and must be used to communicate these sorts of messages. Fantastic, Kimberly. Now, what do you hope is changing forever? I've been giving this a lot of thought because it's a piece that I'm really interested in. You know, there's a lot of people obviously talking about the world will never be the same. I am not sure about that. I think that if we go back in history and look at other major events that have happened, human behaviour might shift slightly for a period of time, but we're creatures of habit, so often we revert back to our old ways. 
The piece that I hope most dearly does change forever is the sense of community and the desire to look in places that perhaps when we get really busy in our daily lives, we overlook. Seeing the man on the street, stopping and asking if there's anything that you can do to help, being more generous with our community spirit, being more collaborative in the way that we approach problems, taking a far more collective view rather than an individualistic view. That's what I hope changes. And within the world of TBWA, you must be in a place to make that happen. I think everyone in the creative community is in a place to make that happen. I think we, we all work in, in the most powerful, one of the most powerful industries in the world. You know, we often talk about the fact that we are in control of what people see and we write the headlines. So I think that everyone who is in either as an owner of a brand, an owner of a media property or someone working in advertising has the potential to change what are stereotypical conventions that so many have fallen into for so long. And have you noticed a a difference in how ideas are generated? I think that's something that's been changing over time, irrespective of COVID. I think that, you know, increasingly there is uh, more acceptance that creativity can come from anywhere, that there are different interpretations of what is creativity. And I think what we're continuing to see is the need for creativity in every corner. So whether you are the CFO, it's not creative accounting, so to speak, but, you know, we need to be very creative in business as a whole. And sometimes the best people to provide a different point of view are the most unlikely ones. And that's where these, you know, a more kind of collaborative, cohesive working units, really drawing in skill from people that perhaps sit outside of a job title, it starts to bubble up really interesting solutions. So you were saying earlier with the, your UN work that it took four days to get to yes. Yes. One of the things, almost the thing I hope happens is that we get to yes a lot faster. My sense pre-COVID was, my goodness me, you do a lot of work and you'd end up with a no anyway. What's your sense around that? We've certainly seen our clients respond a lot faster than what, than what they have previously. Again, outside of emergency situations. Bureaucracy still exists though. And, you know, I think depending on working practices, organisational structures, the road to no or the road to yes is slow because of layers. Mm -hmm. And so I hope that, you know, the way through it is earlier engagement, all key stakeholders in a room together, Mm. and a willingness to fail. In part, that's where a really critical component to trust is trust can't just be good when it's good. Trust also needs to be good when it's bad. Our work with South Australian Tourism, um, when, when we were doing the Book Them Out campaign, in response to the SA fires, we had on the Friday evening, the fires were still burning on Kangaroo Island. We knew that we were sending teams in to start shooting on the Monday. So we brought in um, some disaster relief experts to brief all of our team, make sure that they were emotionally prepared for what they might see. But we also had a partner working with us in um, Brent Hill from the South Australian Tourism Commission who had the absolute highest level of trust in what we were all going to encounter and endure. We had no scripts. We had no storyboards. We had no idea what the reception from 
the tourism operators on the island was going to be. We, we literally filmed a woman who had just come in off from fighting fires on the front line. She just said to the crew, just give me a second, I'm just going to go inside, shower, I'll be back out in a moment. And so those levels of trust came with extraordinary levels of risk as well. And so partnership, it's, it's a word that is bandied around quite a bit, but if we really dig into what partnership means, the partnership between brands, agencies, media owners, all working, common vision, but flexibility in the way that we get there, then that's a very good thing. Well, Kimberly, I sincerely wish you all the best over the coming months and years I think we have to deal with the coming months first, though, before we get to years. So, Kimberly, thanks very much for coming on to be a part of Brand New World. We appreciate it very much. I, in particular, liked what you said around utility. I think that there's something really insightful there for actually all brands because all brands need to prove their utility. Thanks very much, Kimberly. Thanks, Russ. Brand New World is a Podcast One Australia production, produced by Dave Zwolenski and Matthew Dwyer.